Hello everyone and welcome to the May 13 edition of the WorkComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Foles, an attorney with the Floyd Scarron Law Firm. Thanks for joining us today. Let's get started with our litigation report. The Ninth Circuit Court of Appeal ruled that the ABC Dynamex employment test is retroactive. Here's what happened in the case of Vasquez versus Jan Pro Franchising International Incorporated. In 2008, a putative class action was filed in the District of Massachusetts by a Massachusetts plaintiff against Jan Pro Franchising International Incorporated. By the end of that year, there were plaintiffs from other states, including three who were California residents. They all had a common cause to pursue, that Janpro, a major international janitorial cleaning business, had developed a sophisticated three-tier franchising model to avoid paying its janitors minimum wages and overtime compensation by misclassifying them as independent contractors. The Massachusetts District Court severed the California plaintiff's claims and sent them to the Northern District of California. The cases progressed in several jurisdictions, including California and Georgia, as well as the original case in Massachusetts. Ultimately, all of them were dismissed, including the one in California. The California case was appealed to the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. The California Supreme Court decision in Dynamex versus Superior Court adopted the ABC test for determining whether workers are employees under California wage order occurred after the district court's dismissal of the case. Thus, the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals directed the parties to brief its effect in the merits of the pending case. After reviewing the briefs, the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals held that Dynamex applied retroactively and that the case must be remanded to the district court, district court to consider the merits in light of Dynamex. The Supreme Court of California has explained that judicial decisions are given retroactive effect. <clears throat> this is true even for decisions that overrule precedent. As in the federal system, appellate courts in California apply intervening state Supreme Court rules retroactively when reviewing cases, even if the judgment in the trial court was entered prior to the ruling from the California Supreme Court. This opinion has major implications for California employers that rely on independent contractors, including gig economy companies. And now our crime report. Fifteen chiropractors have been charged by the Los Angeles County District Attorney in a $6 million insurance fraud and illegal kickback scheme involving automobile collision medical claims. The felony complaint lists a total of 18 felony counts, including charges against all of the defendants of insurance fraud and participating in patient referral rebates. The alleged ringleader of the operation is Yuri Chernega of Studio City, a chiropractor who faces allegations of taking more than $500,000 from about 30 insurance companies through fraud and embezzlement. Chernega allegedly offered to refer new patients to other chiropractors in return for an illegal referral fee 
through which he collected about $6 million. The patients all allegedly had been involved in automobile collisions. The defendants also are accused of filing false claims for medical services they never provided. Additionally, Chernega allegedly did not report the income from the illegal kickbacks on his taxes. 51-year-old psychologist Danita Stewart of Chatsworth and 54-year-old Dr. Catlino Dureza of La Quinta have been charged for allegedly submitting fraudulent insurance claims for workers' compensation medical legal evaluations. Stewart allegedly submitted 36 fraudulent insurance claims to five different insurers for medical legal evaluations for a total of more than $90,000. Even though Stewart was a licensed psychologist, she has never been certified as a qualified medical examiner as required by law to conduct and bill for medical legal evaluations. Stewart allegedly conducted these fraudulent evaluations at clinics in Fresno, Tulare, and Kern Counties. Dureza, a licensed medical doctor, had obtained the proper certification to conduct and bill for medical legal evaluations, but his certification lapsed. Dureza allegedly continued to conduct and bill for medical legal evaluations, and once he was recertified, he conducted and billed for unauthorized medical legal evaluations. Dereza allegedly submitted 17 fraudulent insurance claims for medical legal evaluations conducted in Fresno County to five different insurers for a total of more than $16,000. These cases were investigated by the Central Valley Workers' Compensation Task Force. A convicted vexatious comp litigant has been arrested again. 64-year-old Bruce Richard Senator was arrested back in 2006 after prosecutors claimed that workers' compensation judges William Whiteley and Norman Delaterry felt personally threatened by Mr. Senator and suffered sustained fear. The two work comp judges handled Senator's workers' compensation cases at one time or another. The Stanton, California resident, who served as his own attorney during a two-week criminal jury trial in 2007, was convicted. He fought that conviction and the subsequent incarceration through the court system at least up until July 2017, when the Federal Ninth Circuit Court of Appeal denied his appeal of the denial of his petition for writ of habeas corpus. Back in 2013, an order to show cause regarding vexatious litigant was alleged that he had initiated about 26 civil actions in the Central District of California since 1999. The pleadings said that none of these actions was resulting in a judgment favorable to plaintiff, and moreover, many of them were dismissed as patently frivolous or for failure to state a claim. Mr. Senator has now again been accused of threatening five Orange County Superior Court judges. He pleaded not guilty to the charges last week in Orange County Superior Court. The nature of how the alleged threat to the Orange County Superior Court judges was not 
conveyed and was not immediately known. And in regulatory news, last year the Trump administration introduced the American Patients' First Blueprint to bring down prescription drug prices. The blueprint laid out four strategies for solving the problems patients face, boosting competition, enhancing negotiation, creating incentives for lower list prices, and bringing down out-of-pocket costs for medications. Now, Health and Human Services announced a final rule that will require direct-to-consumer television advertisements for prescription pharmaceuticals to include the list price. The new rule takes effect in 60 days. Up until now, drug companies were only required to disclose the major side effects a drug can have. HHS will publicize companies that create false or misleading ads, but primary enforcement will be left to the industry. If a drug company fails to include required information, a competitor can file suit under the Deceptive and Unfair Trade Practice Provisions of the Lanham Act. The HHS secretary could not provide an estimate of whether or how much the rule would change drug prices, but when combined with other steps the administration is taking on drug costs, the rule will likely lower medication prices. He dismissed statements from drug companies that the ads could cause some insured patients to stop filling their prescriptions out of the mistaken belief that drugs would cost them too much. The drug lobby Pharma has also been pushing a different plan that would not put prices directly in the ads, but instead direct patients to more nuanced information, such as a website that includes the drug's list price, an expected range of patient out-of-pocket costs, and financial support available to the patients. Pharma has also indicated it may mount a First Amendment challenge to the administration's new plan, but HHS says it believes the rule is consistent with the Supreme Court precedent. The drug industry spent more than $5.5 billion on advertising in 2017, including nearly $4.2 billion on television ads. The Commission on Health and Safety and Workers' Compensation has released its 197-page 24th Annual Report for 2018. The report presents information about the health and safety and workers' compensation systems in California and makes recommendations to improve operations. The annual report also includes several special studies of targeted areas of interest. One of the special studies involved the PQME process. The special study said the number of providers registered as QMEs continues to decline 17% since 2017, 2007, that's 17% since 2007, but less rapidly than it did prior to 2007. At the same time, the number of requests for QME panels has increased rapidly 87% since 2007. The decline in QMEs and increase in panel requests means that the number of requests per QME has doubled. 
The average QME now earns 240% more from panel reports than in 2007. Panel requests for unrepresented cases declined 55%, driven entirely by a decline in requests by injured workers. The number of requests by claims administrators in unrepresented cases changed very little. The primary reasons for panels are compensability, 42.5%, permanent disability, 21.4%, and permanent and stationary status, 11.4%. A high proportion of panel assignments are still assigned to the busiest 10% of QMEs, nearly all of whom have exactly 10 offices and are in orthopedic specialties. And in medical news, reserving lifetime workers' compensation awards is getting far more complicated. Bank of America Merrill Lynch and analysts believe that genome sequencers such as Illumina, high-tech players such as Alphabet and biotech companies such as Novartis are on the cusp of bringing unprecedented increases to the quality and length of human lifespans. If true, this certainly will be a factor in the equation of reserving lifetime workers' compensation awards. Innovation in genome science, big data, and amortality, which includes wearable technology and products in the so-called wellness space, could soon prolong healthy human life well beyond 100 years, according to the Bank of America analysts. Medical knowledge will double every 73 days by 2020 versus every three and a half years in 2010. And genomic sequencing costs have fallen 99.999% since 2003. The analysts say that this has enabled a new frontier in precision medicine to further extend life expectancy, heralding a techmanity which is technology meets humanity revolution. Genomics, or the study of the human genome, will provide the next generation of gene editing technology, offering potentially revolutionary advances in prevention and disease treatments. Companies such as $46 billion genome sequencer Illumina, $27 billion lab instrument manufacturer Agilent, an $89 billion life science equipment maker, Donner, all have exposure to this space. The growth of artificial intelligence combined with an ever-growing body of healthcare data should help researchers analyze pathology or the study of the causes and effects of diseases in the years to come. Names in this space include Google Parent Alphabet, Amazon, including its joint venture with Berkshire Hathaway, and J.P. Morgan Chase, and Apple. The use of telemedicine may be in its early stages within the workers' compensation system, but the starting line has definitely been crossed with employers and workers' comp insurers embracing the ability to provide remote medical care to injured employees using the video technology embedded in smartphones, tablets, and computers. 
a managed care consultant, made those comments as moderator of a forum on telemedicine during the Workers' Compensation Research Institute's 35th Annual Issues and Research Conference held earlier this year. There's a paradigm shift occurring in workers' comp when it comes to telemedicine. AF Group, the parent organization of a group of workers' comp carriers that together provide coverage in all 50 U.S. states, took the plunge several years ago and began offering telemedicine services to its policyholders. The program has been well-received, according to the medical director for AF Group. He expects the use of telemedicine will become very standard within the workers' comp industry in the coming years. Similarly, the medical director of the State Compensation Insurance Fund in California also offers policyholders a telemedicine option and said it is likely the industry will see a surge within the next three to five years. And the vice president of Risk Services for California-based The Cheesecake Factory said his company began experimenting with telemedicine for addressing workplace injuries last year. His company is still in the process of determining the effectiveness of its telemedicine program. However, he said benefits for both the staff and the company are apparent. According to a study authored by the chief medical officer for AF Group, published in the latest journal of occupational and environmental medicine, concurrent treatment of chronic pain, depression, anxiety, and occupational injuries is associated with large increases in total workers' compensation claim costs and delayed return to work. The study examined the impact of anti-anxiety benzodiazepines, anti-anxiety benzodiazepines, and antidepressants in combination with opioids on workers' comp claim costs and closure rates. Researchers analyzed more than 22,000 work-related indemnity claims. Results showed that the slowest claim closure rate occurred among claimants with prescriptions for all three types of medications. The group without any medications has the highest closure rate at 91.8% followed by the group with only opioid prescriptions at 89.1%. Even when controlling for age, chronic pain, medical complexity, and claim development in terms of years, antidepressant claims were more likely to remain open at the end of the five-year study period. The researchers say they were surprised with the increased recovery time and medical costs associated with antidepressant medications. And a new study published in the Journal of the American Medical Association, Internal Medicine, suggests that Physician Compare, a federal website created to help patients find high-quality doctors, is missing so much information on individual providers that it may not be helpful at all. Quality reporting has been a work in progress for almost three decades since a landmark 1999 report from the Institute of Medicine called To Air is Human. It concluded that tens of thousands of patients' deaths each year were the direct result of medical errors. 
Physician Compare is the flagship effort by the U.S. Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services to improve quality transparency. But while more than one million clinicians care for Medicare enrollees, only about 239,000, or 23%, had any quality information at all available on the Physician Compare website. And virtually none of the doctors had data tied to individual job performance. Only about 21% of primary care providers reported some individual or group information related to outcomes from their practice. But almost all of this data was at the practice level, making it hard for patients to know who might be a better or worse choice among several physicians at one clinic. And half of them provided details on no more than one or two quality outcomes. Doctors who did share individual level outcomes tended to have very high quality scores, suggesting that physicians may only opt into the voluntary reporting system when they know the results will make them look good. Clinicians also are not required to report data on outcomes for every patient, and they may choose only to submit information for cases that turned out well. And so, that is all of our news and our events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and special reports using your iPhone, your iPad, or your Android device by searching for the WorkComp Academy with your podcast software. And we also publish a daily flash briefing on the Amazon Alexa Echo platform. Search for Workers' Compensation News on Amazon. Again, I'm Renee Foles with Floyd Scarin, Manukian Langeman. Thanks for joining us today. Please drop by again next week for more news.